Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. My name is Dave, and for those of you who are new around here, Pastor Ben already alluded to this. Uh, I am from the state of Wisconsin, home of the Green Bay Packers. I actually saw a guy this morning here at Timberlake walking around with a Packers jersey, and I just thanked the Lord that there is light in the midst of darkness. I said, Lord, you are good. Actually, we need a lot of prayer this year, a lot of prayer and fasting. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, I want to say hello to you. Uh, our different campuses, we want to welcome you. I want to encourage everybody, if you want to follow along today, uh, inside your program is an outline uh, that looks like this. You can take that out and you can kind of keep track of how much time we have left in our gathering. And uh, I'll let you know right up front that we're not going to get to the fill-ins until the, uh, almost to the end of the talk, uh, which will be about an hour from now. Not really. All right, so here's the deal. We're in this holiday season. We've already gone past Halloween and Thanksgiving. We've got Christmas upon us and New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, but the thing is, uh, of the different holidays we celebrate through the year, Christmas is one of the most unique ones because it's not just a holiday. Christmas is really a story. And, and more than that, it is a collection of different stories that culminates with the birth of Jesus. And just like any collection of stories that are a couple thousand years old, over time, the stories of Christmas have become polluted with some fiction in the midst of the facts, right? It's this like combination of truth and not truth. I mean, just the way we present the nativity scene is one example, right? You look at a nativity scene, you set this up in your house, and, and I do the same thing. Uh, Here's the deal. We set it up as though it's peaceful and calm and everything's bright and nice and, and Norman Rockwell type of setting, when in reality, the first Christmas was noisy, it was chaotic, it had the stench of animals, there was a lot of confusion, it was very uncomfortable. But we put Jesus in this bed of hay. People bring him gifts. Over time, it starts to look a lot like Pottery Barn and more than the birth of Jesus, Right? Another example of how polluted the details of Christmas have become with our many stories is uh, the wise men. So just for fun today, I want to do a little pop quiz. If you brought your number two pencil, you might want to pull that out or you can do this in your head. Uh, here we go. Just kind of guess with me uh, these different trivias on the wise men. How many wise men do you think showed up to Bethlehem? All right, A, most likely three. B, Nobody really knows, or C, nobody really knows, but more than you would find on a typical day in eastern Washington. <laughs> well, the answer is B, nobody really knows. We make assumptions that there were three of them because there were three gifts, but nobody really knows. Number two, were the wise men really present at the manger scene? A, yes. B, no, they showed up late. Or C, no, they showed up late, but if they had been wise women, they would have showed up on time. <laughs> the answer is B. They actually did show up late. They, they were not at the nativity. Most scholars would say that they arrived a year or two later. Number three, what gifts 
did the wise men bring to Jesus? This is kind of a gimme. A, gold and incense or frankincense and myrrh. B, a Whitman sampler from the Bethlehem Walgreens. Or C, a Tickle Me Caesar doll. And of course, the answer is A, gold and incense and myrrh. And then finally, number four. Here we go. What did the three wise men do for a living? A, they were kings. B, they were advisors to kings. Or C, since they had a home computer, they worked from home part-time making $10,000 a month, and you can too. See me after the service for an exciting opportunity. All right, the answer is B, they were advisors to kings. But with the different stories that make up the big Christmas story, uh, if we're not careful to separate fact and fiction, we will miss some of the great lessons and learnings from the different stories. Now, it's kind of surreal that we're even talking about Christmas right now, because doesn't it seem like it was just a few months ago and we were celebrating? And here we are, and I promise you as an adult, the next 20-some days are going to fly by. It's going to be a blur. But if you have children, you're going to watch them be in agony because for every child, this is the most painfully slow time of the year. Right? For kids, the days leading up to Christmas are the longest days of the year. Two weeks ago, I was working from home, and I was on my computer, and I saw an email come through from my son, Jaden, 11 years old, who was in the same house. And I was like, what is Jaden emailing me about right here in the middle of the day? He never emails me. Well, sure enough, it was his Christmas wish list. Unsolicited. He put links to all of the things he wanted. One of the things he wanted is an Xbox Gold Live membership. This is absolutely true. He has already become so impatient that he scrounged up enough money in his room and from his mama that he went and already bought that. So I could cross that off the list. Now, some of you can relate to this, right? Most of us can, because when we were kids, we would just get so antsy. It wasn't because we wanted Christmas to come so we could go to a candlelight service or be with family and friends, although that was fun. It was all about the toys and the gifts. How many of you got so impatient waiting for gifts, you'll admit, you, you either opened them ahead of time or you at least shook them to hear what, what it was or try to guess? Yeah, most of us. Now, the thing about waiting is depending on what you're waiting for, it can be a time of anticipation or excitement, or it can be a time of fear and anxiety. But the thread that weaves itself in and out of every waiting experience is pretty much the same thread, and that is we all hate waiting. We don't like waiting in traffic during our commute. We don't like waiting on hold with customer service. We certainly don't like waiting when we show up to an appointment and being in some waiting room for a while. When we go to a restaurant, all of us have in our mind, depending on the type of restaurant, how long we should wait. I don't know if you've seen this video, millions of people have. Uh, it's on YouTube where a guy is at a fine dining restaurant. He gets so tired of waiting that in order to make a point, he calls a pizza place, has them deliver pizza to the restaurant, and people stand and applaud this guy because they were tired of waiting. Now, most of us have a list of things that we hate waiting for. And so uh, we kind of jump the gun and, and we don't wait for them. And most of them are just trivial, no big deal. But in the important areas of life, our inability to wait can cause us a lot of problems. If you've had seasons of your life where you've had lots of debt, maybe that's where you're at today. Often our debt is the result of not wanting to wait. Many of our relationship problems come from our inability to delay sexual pleasure in any way. 
Many of our health problems come from our inability to say no to sugar or processed foods for any length of time. If we had an open mic and we could talk about some of our biggest regrets, I'm telling you, most of our regrets are going to go back to the fact that there was a season of life where we just didn't want to wait and be patient. And the frustrating thing is during the seasons we were willing to wait and during the seasons we tried to be patient, it didn't seem like there was much of a payoff. And maybe this is where you're at with God. We say, man, I, I, I pray. I pray and pray and pray over the same thing, but God doesn't respond. It's like he's distant, he doesn't hear, nothing happens because of my prayers. Or maybe you say, hey, I was going down the wrong path in life, so now I've turned my life around and I'm trying to walk in obedience to what I believe God wants me to do. I listen to Pastor Ben do teachings and I try to apply what I'm learning, but my life isn't getting better. I feel stuck. Sometimes it feels like I'm moving backwards. David, before he became the second king of Israel, went through a long season of just frustration and waiting and uncertainty. And during that season, he just fires off a bunch of questions to God in one of his journal entries. He writes, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? And of course, the questions that David asks are not unique to him and his experience. I mean, all of the godly men and women we read about in the ancient Jewish scriptures had similar questions. God, how long do I have to pray before you bless us with a child? How long do I have to continue to walk in obedience to you before my life gets better? How long do I have to work on myself and try to be faithful to your commands before you finally bring that special someone into my life to spend my life with? How long before my marriage starts to get traction again? Lord, how long before this depression finally lifts and I get to enjoy life? Most of the questions that we ask and that have been asked throughout history are rooted in the natural desire for hope. The hope of a brighter future. The hope that God hasn't abandoned us. The hope that God's listening. The hope that things are going to turn around and we're going to be able to get through the current season of our life. 15 or 16 years ago, my wife started a discussion with me and about fostering to adopt. My wife was adopted. She wanted to adopt. And it took a little bit for us to get on the same page. It's a big decision. But eventually we got there. We were living in Chicago at the time. And so we started taking classes that we had to go through in order to foster a child. Roughly 30 hours of classes. We got done with the classes. And the phone call never came. We waited week after week, month after month. There were several months. We never got a phone call to bring a child into our home because the key was we wanted to foster to adopt. Well, then we ended up moving to San Diego. Found out that the classes we had to take in San Diego were the exact same ones as Chicago, so I was excited because I didn't have to retake them, but then I found out, no, we had to retake them because it's a different state. So I sat through another 30 hours of classes, and we waited for the phone call, and we waited for the phone call, and we waited for the phone call, and finally... In February of 2006, the phone call came. It was a lady saying, hey, there's been a baby abandoned underneath a car in a hospital parking lot, left in a duffel bag, and uh, we need a home for this child. Would you take him in? And we said, no, this is not our child. No, we didn't say that. No. We said, of course we will. <laughs> so we brought the child into our home, and then we had to wait for adoption because even though he had been abandoned, parents still had legal rights. 
And so we had to wait several months, and the birth parents never came forward. And so finally, in November of 2006, we were able to adopt our son, Jaden. It was a long season of waiting. Now, I tell you that story because I realize some of you are in a season of waiting. You want to reconcile with one of your kids. You have a friend you haven't talked to in years. You have a parent who maybe there's been friction in your relationship, and you're just waiting for it to be normal again. Maybe you're waiting for your finances to rebound. Or you're waiting for a job. Or you're waiting to find that special someone. Or you're waiting for your marriage to turn around. You're waiting for your life to get some momentum. You're waiting for the depression to lift. And I just want to encourage you today and say, when you're in a season of waiting, it doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean God's given up, that he doesn't hear you. Waiting is just part of life. And if we were to just look back throughout history, and how God answers the questions that people ask. Most of the time, his answer is just wait. Wait on God. Wait for the Lord. One of the psalms that we read, and psalms were written by different authors, one of the psalms that we read, the author actually reminds themselves of the importance of waiting. They write, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. There's a lot of mystery to waiting, but one of the themes that surfaces in so many of the stories leading up to Christmas is waiting. And this is important for us to hear because life is filled with this reality. Maybe you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You'd say, I'm really not interested in this whole God thing because you have friends that would call themselves followers of Jesus and you see God not answering their prayer. You see them trying to live in obedience to God and you're like, man, they live way differently than I would ever want to live. And I'm moving farther ahead in life than they are. It's like they're stuck. And, and so you, you kind of turn off to this whole God thing because you watch people wait. But that's part of the reality of, of not just life, but of, the, uh, of following Jesus. When we read the ancient scriptures the, the, that really are the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish Bible, we call it the Old Testament, but that's what it is, the Jewish Bible, it's packed with the history of Israel, but in the history of Israel, we see over and over and over promises and prophecies being made to the Jewish people that God was going to give them full-on independence. He was going to bring them a leader to rule them, a savior, a messiah, a king, an anointed one. And there were several indications that this savior would arrive into the world as a baby. Now, as exciting as that was to the Jewish people and as much hope as that brought, the fact is these prophecies and promises were scattered over like 2,000 years. And during those 2,000 years, man, there were many moments in Jewish history that were not high. I mean, it's like a roller coaster. There were a couple high moments, but for the most part, it was low moments and frustrating moments. I mean, Israel changed hands over 25 times. The Babylonians came in, the Syrians, the Greeks, the Persians. Israel was regularly losing power and influence in the world. They were losing wealth. Things got so hopeless for the Jewish people that 400 years before the birth of Jesus, everything went silent. It's like God was nowhere around. No books of the Bible being written. No prophecies being recorded. Nothing of spiritual significance that history records. And so it's known as this time period where God was silent. And so, of course, people started to check out. Jews started to walk away from God. Started to tune out these different prophecies. 
started to feel like urban legend. It's like any of you have kids who come home with uh, one of those instruments called the recorder, or as I like to refer to it, the devil's flute. Right? If there's music in hell, I promise you, it will be on the recorder. And your kids are all excited. They're learning. So, hey, can I play for you? Hot cross bond. Dun, 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 dun. And you're like, oh, you're so good. Wait, Dad, I got another one. Another one. This is called Three Blind Mice. Wait a minute. Same song, different title. Okay. Eventually, if your kids have the recorder or really any instrument, at some point you just have to say, I'm tuning them out. I'm trying to get things done. I'm just, I, I, I'm going to do my best to, to check out. Well, that's what Jewish people started to do with the prophecies. Started just to tune out, check out, walk away, and yet there was a handful of individuals who held on to this ancient promise that a Messiah was going to come. There was a handful that would hold on to this ancient uh, prophecy that a Savior would be born. In Luke chapter 2, we read about one of those individuals who was holding on. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon he was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So even though most of the Jews had walked away and tuned out, there was a handful of people who would stand in the streets of Jerusalem with tears in their eyes and they would raise their voice and they would sing the words of that ancient Jewish song, don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling, streetlight people. Don't stop believing. And the reason... This is so important for us. It's because I promise you, if you follow Jesus, at some point in your spiritual journey, it's just going to feel like this is all, all fairy tale. I've been waiting forever. At some point, you're going to say, I don't think God answers prayer. I don't think God sees what I'm going through. God's not only not blessing my life, but I just think he's cursing my life. At some point, you're going to start to wonder, where is God? Why has he abandoned me? Do I just show up to services because it's like this religious thing to do and I'm kind of religious and I kind of have these beliefs? Is it because I'm superstitious? Is it because mama told me this is what I should do? There's so many different themes that pop up in the Christmas story. One of the greatest themes that's repeated over and over and over is this theme of waiting. Simeon wasn't alone. There was another couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were in their 60s or 70s. Zechariah was a priest. They lived in a rural area overseeing a small Jewish temple. Here's what we read about them. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. This is so cool. We read that they were righteous. In the scriptures, there are different labels and titles given to people to help us remember them and identify with them. And they're not all great. Right, you have uh, Rahab the prostitute, Doubting Thomas, Buffy the vampire slayer, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. And then you have Zechariah and Elizabeth, and what we hear of them is they were righteous. They were blameless. And it's fascinating, because not everything in their life was going well. When they were children, the Jewish people lost their independence to the Romans. Never to regain it again in their lifetime. That's the backdrop. Israel's barely holding on. So not everything's going good for Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's not why they're being faithful. God hasn't answered all their prayers. In fact, one of the ongoing prayers they had ever since they were married was, God, we want you to bless us with a child. Children were a huge deal in Jewish culture. If you couldn't have a baby, 
because there was no medical explanation for it, it was seen like you were cursed. It was grounds for divorce. You relied on your kids to take care of you in your old age. Here's Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're in retirement age, and God still hasn't answered their prayer. And then one weekend they go away and they celebrate their anniversary. Several weeks later, Elizabeth wakes up, she's kind of nauseous, doesn't know what's going on. She starts to do the math, takes a pregnancy test, and realizes, whoa, our boy Zechariah was a one-hit wonder. Woo, that was a great weekend. She got pregnant. In retirement age. I mean, this is miraculous. This doesn't happen every day. It's a great reminder for all of us that God can do miracles. Matter of fact, I've been praying for all of you over the age of 60 this last week and saying, God, in this next year, would you do miracles? Would you bless with babies those in retirement age? For your glory, Lord. But it's this crazy thing that happened. And, and the reason I even mention this miraculous event of Elizabeth getting pregnant is because it plays into the timeline of the Christmas story. Here's what we read in the book of Luke. In the sixth month, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. This is the beginning of the Christmas story. Jesus is about to be born. And when it becomes evident to this Jewish priest by the name of Zechariah who lives in this rural community that Mary's child is the promised Messiah, that this is the Savior, and there were indications for him to believe that. He speaks these words with confidence. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised to the holy prophets long ago. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. God didn't forget. He kept his promise. Everybody was looking at the minute hand, the hour hand, but God was looking at the calendar. This is so important. Because again, maybe you've kind of given up on the whole God thing or you've decided never even to check in because you've seen too many people wait and you just think this whole thing's random. They pray, God doesn't answer. They live as best they can according to what they think God wants them to do and God doesn't respond. Or maybe you are following Jesus and that's starting to become a little bit of your heart. Like, God, where are you in all of this? And you're getting discouraged and defeated. Here's what we need to remember about waiting. Waiting is part of the natural rhythm of life. Almost nothing significant happens without waiting. Nobody is an overnight success. Author Malcolm Gladwell writes in his book, Outliers, that it takes roughly 10,000 hours of doing the same thing to become an expert at something. That's a lot of waiting. I love to hunt. Any hunters here at Timberlake Church? All right, four of you. Well, there may be four people at Great Lakes Church where I pastor who do not hunt. But yeah, I'm a hunter. And, and so this past fall, I waited in a tree in, in a stand with my son, Jaden, for almost 24 hours over the course of several weekends before the Lord finally allowed an eight-point buck to come into our sights, to him be the glory. Right? When, when you wait, it's just part of life. It's true with gardening. Right? You don't plant tomato seeds and the next day come out and say, hey, where are the tomatoes? You know there's a natural delay between the time you 
sow in the time you reap. That's why Solomon, the third king of Israel, wrote, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Life is filled with seasons. And one of the most important realities that we can embrace is that we will harvest in a different season than we plant. You might want to write that down. I reap in a different season than I sow. I reap in a different season than I sow. We have to remind ourselves of this reality because some of us have planted financial seeds. Maybe you've planted financial seeds here at Timberlake. And you want to see... X, Y, Z, right? You have an idea in your mind of what the full harvest should look like, what the, what the full results should look like of your giving. Or, or maybe you planted in your retirement and it just feels like, man, it's taking way longer than I thought. There's a season of waiting. Maybe you planted seeds of prayer and you keep asking God for the same thing and you're just this waiting. Or seeds of love. Maybe you planted seeds of forgiveness and you've tried to reconcile a broken relationship but it just doesn't seem to be happening. Maybe you've planted seeds of love and seeds of sacrifice and seeds of service. Just remember, the harvest comes, but it comes after a season, sometimes a very long season of waiting. Our time of waiting doesn't have to be wasted. Not a time to be passive and sitting back. The truth is God uses the time of waiting to prepare us. Right, time of waiting is not meant to be sitting back, binge watching on Netflix all day. Say, oh, I'm just waiting on God. Back in 1996, when my wife became pregnant uh, with our first child, we knew it was going to be nine months of waiting. So we didn't just sit back and wait for the baby to arrive. No, we waited with expectation. She ate differently and drank differently. We got the nursery ready. There were showers being thrown. There was an expectation. The Apostle Paul says to uh, some of the uh, individuals in the first century that he writes a letter to, he says, listen, when you look around at the world, granted, you're going to see a lot of brokenness, a lot of evil. You're going to feel hopeless at times. You're going to feel like it's dark. And he says, you can get depressed and discouraged and defeated over it, or you can live with an expectation that God's going to make things new and that God actually can use me in helping things become new. I love how the message paraphrased Bible summarizes the words that Paul wrote. He says, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Paul says, man, when you're waiting, it's like being pregnant. Wait with expectation. And our willingness to wait for something reveals often the value of what we're willing to wait for. So God can use a season of waiting to prepare us and to get us ready and to build character in us. And so I'm going to take the final minutes we have together and quickly walk through three ways to make sure we don't waste the season of waiting, whatever it is we're waiting on. Number one, you don't want to waste the season? Then learn as much as you can. I need to use a season of waiting to learn as much as I can. If I'm in a season of waiting on a job, I need to be using that time to develop new skills and to continue to learn and to continue to move myself forward. If I'm waiting for God to bring someone special into my life, I need to be working on my character. I need to be looking at my finances, trying to get rid of debt. I need to be continually moving myself ahead. If I'm waiting on God to answer my prayer and fix my marriage, 
I'm not being passive and sitting back. I'm saying, okay, I'm going to be going to counseling. I'm going to be reading marriage books. I'm going to be listening to podcasts. I'm going to be trying to improve myself and do what I can to move the marriage forward, even in a very difficult time. So the season of waiting is a great time to learn. And often what we learn in that season is greater than the very thing we're waiting for. I love how the Message Bible paraphrases the words of King David in Psalm 119. He says, God, teach me the lessons for living so I can stay the course. Give me insight so I can do what you tell me my whole life, one long obedient response. Guide me down the road of your commandments. I love traveling this freeway. I've spoken at Timberlake many times over the years, but this last year I've been pretty upfront with you that this has been the most difficult season for me uh, that I can remember in my entire life. This 2017 difficult year, many reasons. I'm not going to bore you with the details, uh, but I'll give you the, the, the big picture. The number one stressor over the last year that has just crushed me on so many levels is our, our church has a couple campuses, and our largest campus, the campus we initially launched in 2009 in Kenosha, uh, right on the Illinois border um, between Wisconsin and, and Illinois, uh, our Kenosha campus had to make a move. So for the first eight years, we were meeting in a movie theater, okay? We actually had five adult auditoriums. So I would speak in one auditorium, and we'd have five auditoriums that would watch on video simultaneously, and that's how we did church for several years, and we got used to it. Well, at the end of last year, the theater said, hey, we're going to do a huge remodel. It's going to affect our seating, and so we're giving you a heads up that you're going to have to find another place to meet. And I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. But in the last year, we've moved five times in one year. It's affected us hundreds of people. It's just, it has been a very stressful year. Let me show you where we meet right now. This is not a joke. We meet in a small warehouse. This is our auditorium. We have one auditorium, all right? It seats 225, believe it or not, because it goes back farther than that, but it, it seats 225 total. The good news is we have an overflow area, okay? This is our overflow area. You watch the entire service on video, the entire thing, in this overflow area. And at least we don't have air conditioning in there because that would make it too comfortable, okay? So this is where we've been at this year. And it's been defeating at every level. The good news is there is light right around the corner, okay? So we're gonna be in a building hopefully by Christmas and we've been working on it the last several months. But I'm telling you, throughout this season, my prayer has just been, God, teach me something. I, I don't want this to be wasted. And so one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, because this would have been a season where I just, I'm so restless, I gotta keep doing stuff to keep everybody together. I just learned I can't, I can't do it all. And so I've actually, in this season, learned to rest more. I've learned to build margin into my life. I've learned to hand off responsibilities to other people. In a season of waiting, you can learn. Number two, if you don't want to waste the season you're in, connect with God often. Connect with God often. Most of us would say, when life's going good, when things are moving at a fast pace, when everything's uh, fun and exciting... We rarely have the margin in our life to connect with God. We don't think about prayer. We don't think about connecting with God through music. Right? God kind of becomes a side issue when everything's going perfect. But in a season of waiting, we've got time. So how do you connect with God? Through prayer? Through, through music and, and through singing? Through getting out into nature? Do you connect with God through, through artistic expressions? Maybe it's through community and getting together with other followers of Jesus. Whatever it is, take the season of waiting and say, hey, I'm not going to waste this. I'm going to just keep trying to connect with God at a deeper level in this season. 
In a manuscript written by a Jewish prophet named Isaiah, we read this, that those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Season of waiting is a great time to connect with God. A couple weeks ago, the fire marshal came through our new building and uh, had a big concern about something that was going to set us back another four to six months. Going to cost us roughly $200,000. So I lost a bunch of sleep. I laid in bed at night just looking at the ceiling saying, God, I, I can't tell our church anymore. I keep saying three more weeks, five more weeks, two more months. Now I got to tell them four to six more months and $200,000. And I went to our Racine campus, which is 20 minutes away, and there's a room there that I just like to pray in, and I walked around that room, and for over an hour, I prayed one prayer over and over and over. I said, God, you got to fight this battle for me. I cannot do it anymore. I don't know how much more I can, I can take. I, I'm feeling crushed at every level. God, please, you got to fight my battle for me. you got to fight this battle for our church. God, you got to fight this battle for our church. That was it, over and over and over. And the fire marshal came around and said, hey, as big of a concern as that is, I think we can address it this way and we can still get you in the timeline that you wanted to be in and it's not going to cost you any more money. But here's some, some ideas I came up with. And whew, Maybe the only prayer you can pray in a season of waiting is, God, fight my battle for me. I can't do this anymore. Number three, you say, I don't want to waste this season of waiting. Then just be faithful to do what you can do. We've already alluded to this. Just put one foot in front of the other. Just keep moving forward. Now, a legit question is, is there ever a time to throw in the towel? Is there ever a time to say, the marriage isn't getting traction. It's been years. There's still this abusive pattern here. Is, is there ever a time to say, man, I, I keep waiting for a promotion at my job, but I keep getting overlooked. Is it, am I supposed to move on? What? And the answer would be yes. That's between you and the Lord. Sometimes we just have to look at where we've been in life, where we are, and where we want to go, and we have to say, Lord, what's the wise thing to do? And we, we need to wrestle through with God. But just remember, let's not push the accelerator too quickly. Because life, at many levels, is like a mozo plant. Chinese bamboo tree. The mozo seed, when it's planted, doesn't have a lot of impact right away. I mean, you can water it, you can watch over it, you can come back a few days later, a few weeks later, a few months later, and nothing is happening. Two years after being planted, nothing happening. Three years, four years, nothing happening. But on the fifth year, it starts to shoot up at two and a half feet per day over the course of six weeks. So it's like 90 feet tall when this thing is said and done. And it seems miraculous and magical. And what happened? Well, during the course of those five years, there were miles of roots being developed. Something was happening, just nobody saw it. You may think, that nothing's happened as a result of your prayers or a result of your faithful giving to God or as a result of you trying to be obedient and align yourself to what you think God wants you to do. Just be faithful. Keep moving forward. Jesus taught that if you keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. He said, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So it's possible that maybe you've kind of given up hope you started putting your hope in relationships or your talents or the economy because you were waiting for too long. And my challenge to you in this Christmas season is maybe turn your eyes back toward Jesus and say, all right, I realize this is part of the equation. And if you've never put your hope in Jesus, you've never 
fully surrendered your life to God because you've always looked at other followers of Jesus and been frustrated. And, and you're like, man, I don't see how their life's benefiting. Just know part of following Jesus is waiting. And God does something on us in the waiting. And maybe this season is a time for you to consider surrendering your life to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, there's so many stories today of waiting. Waiting for reconciliation, waiting for hope, waiting for forgiveness, waiting for courage. I just pray that you would give us the endurance we need and the tenacity we need to keep the course and to remember that the harvest will come after a season of waiting. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave, thanks for coming. Can we thank Dave for coming today? Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 